the message of Easter has maybe never been more relevant for the modern world, except maybe last year for the first digital Easter. As we sort of entered the pandemic that most of us never thought would last until our second digital Easter. Uh, last year, I think many of us were sort of sitting up straight and paying attention because there was so much uncertainty and fear. But maybe this year, some of us have sort of moved either away past our fear, or we just aren't going to think about it right now. The events of Easter, though, are still extraordinarily relevant today because they address our deepest and our greatest fears. Our fears that have been front and center for the past 12 months or so. And last year, our fears were, is everything going to be okay? Is my family going to make it through? Uh, and now our fears maybe have shifted a little bit. Is the vaccination going to fully protect me and my family? Am I going to be able to keep my job until this is over? Will we have enough money to make it to the end? Uh, lastly, the question that all parents are asking, when can our kids leave our house and go safely back to school? But on a serious note, the fear in question, though, that really we all are probably still asking, does God care about us? Does God care about me? And interestingly, the basis of these fears and questions is similar to the fears and questions of the very first Easter. In fact, maybe the only other time in history where the events of Easter were more relevant to life on earth was that very first Easter. We do have an advantage though today that Jesus followers in the first century didn't have. We can look back on the events of Easter and hang our hope on knowing what happened. But the first century Jesus followers, uh, but for them though, it was really quite different. Because when Jesus died, their hope died. When Jesus died, no one believed he was the savior. But after Jesus' crucifixion, there were really no Christians because there was no Christ. There was a brokenhearted mother, there was a group of disillusioned fishermen, a tax collector, and some women who, who wondered maybe if they had wasted a season of their life. There were two people though, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who asked Pilate for Jesus' body so they could bury him. So they take down Jesus' body from the cross and they basically put it in a cave, which was a family tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, they roll a stone in front of it and then they go home because they thought it was over. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, really all the New Testament authors, no one was planning to keep this Jesus movement going after the crucifixion. And here's why. Because clearly Jesus wasn't who he claimed to be. That if Jesus couldn't keep himself alive, what was the point of keeping this Jesus movement alive? Because while Jesus' teachings were significant, it wasn't the driving force behind his movement. The driving force was Jesus' authority and how what he did gave credibility to his claims about being the Savior and the Son of God. But these claims drove the religious leaders crazy. Uh, even Jesus' miracles and most of his teaching didn't drive them as crazy as what he claimed about himself. He was constantly sort of attributing things to himself that were only meant for God. And one of the biggest and boldest claims was that he claimed to have the power to forgive sin. But the religious leaders got incredibly upset about that because only God can forgive sin. And they were so furious, and rightfully so to some extent. However, their suspicion that Jesus might actually be who he claimed to be bothered them the most. And Jesus' disciples, Peter, Matthew, John, uh, and the crew really chose to follow Jesus for that exact reason, though. Because maybe Jesus was actually who he claimed to be. They didn't follow him because of what he taught. And in fact, in some cases, they chose to follow him in spite of what Jesus taught. And John tells us about a famous time when Jesus was feeding a huge crowd of people with some loaves and uh, loaves of bread and a few fish. Uh, the crowd wanted to crown Jesus king right there because that's what they thought kings should do, feed the people. But Jesus and his disciples leave the area and get in a boat and travel across the Sea of Galilee to sort of get a break from the crowd. Though by the next day, the crowd has found them. 
And Jesus takes that opportunity to teach. And he says, he is the bread from heaven. But there were people in that crowd who knew Jesus' father was a carpenter. And they knew his mother, Mary. So really, how could Jesus say that he came from heaven? And so the crowd started to murmur. He continues teaching in terms that were sort of confusing and offensive to many of those who were in the crowd. And as a result, the crowd starts to thin. And John tells us this in John chapter 6, verse, 30, verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Because of his teaching, it was really difficult to agree with and offended many of the people. That Jesus, Jesus and his 12 closest followers see the crowd getting smaller. And so, verse 67, then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? And Peter sort of speaks up. And notice what Peter says, uh, Peter, why Peter says they're staying. Verse 68, Simon replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. And we believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. That they were following Jesus because of who they believed he might be, the Savior from God. But again, now he's dead. He's crucified, in fact. Then he's buried. And clearly they must have been wrong. And they were wrong because the Savior from God, the resurrection and life, the bread of life, can't be killed, right? He, he can't be crucified. He can't be executed. God wouldn't allow the Messiah and the Savior that the Jews had waited centuries for. God wouldn't allow him to be executed by the Roman Empire. They must have been wrong about Jesus or wrong to believe in who Jesus said he was. And Jesus must not have been telling the complete truth about who he really was. They watched him die. And it seems really clear from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, from their accounts that they all expected Jesus to do what dead people do, to stay dead. That no one says, well, everyone else stopped believing, but I never lost faith. And no one sort of writes themselves into the story as a believer, as a faithful believer throughout the crucifixion. How can you relate with the first century Jesus followers at that first Easter? We're in this powerful but somber moment. Jesus is dead and Jesus has been buried. So what do we have? We have a corrupt religious system that influenced a heartless Roman Empire to crucify Jesus. And we have a Roman governor who cannot wait to get out of Jerusalem and back to his coastal palace. And again, there was sort of this group of disillusioned fishermen, a tax collector, and some women who maybe wondered if they'd wasted a season of their life. There is no savior, no son of God, and no believers. And there seems to be no hope. Because when Jesus died, these people's hope it died also. So happy Easter. Thanks for joining us today. If that was the end of the story, there would be no reason for us to have hope either. But then something happened. And these former believers didn't just sort of psych themselves up and get motivated out of nowhere. This something that happened, it changed everything for them. The song that Claudette will lead us in singing in just a few moments gives us one description of what happened next. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. And this is why Easter has arguably never been more significant for you and for me. That on Easter, we don't celebrate something that was written on a book. On Easter, we celebrate the event that changed life and offered everyone hope. And the only reason Jesus' story was worth telling was not his teaching. It's not even about his claims about himself because many people made many kinds of claims about themselves. And it certainly wasn't because of his crucifixion. Tens of thousands of people were crucified during this period of history. The only reason Jesus' story was worth retelling was his resurrection. That Jesus is a good teacher and yeah, Jesus is a miracle worker, but Jesus is also alive. 
We're going to start in Matthew or Mark, rather, chapter 15. If you want to follow along in the Bible app, uh, you're welcome to do that. If you don't have the Bible app, head to Bible.com slash app. You can also follow along in the app or we'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. Uh, again, this comes from Mark, who traveled with Peter and eventually recorded Jesus' resurrection as told by Peter. So Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. That This Joseph that they're talking about was hoping that Jesus was bringing that kingdom of God. But at the very least, after Jesus' crucifixion and death, he didn't know what to think. Verse 44. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph saw a long, bought a long linen sheet of cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and the mother, uh, Mary the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. So pause for a second. Why would they go to prepare to anoint Jesus' body by buying these spices? Because they assumed, like most people, that Jesus would stay dead. Verse 2. Very early on, on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way there, they were asking each other, who will ro roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. And then they did something that for many of us, including me, we would not have done because basically they were in a cemetery and there was an open tomb. Verse 5, when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. And again, this account comes from Peter through Mark. So Peter is sort of reminding us that even he wasn't expecting Jesus to be resurrected. He wasn't there waiting for Jesus, even though Jesus had told them about his resurrection beforehand. And the women, they tell Peter and John, who then sort of rush to the tomb and look inside. And Jesus told the women where they would meet him. And so John and Peter and the other disciples, they leave the tomb and go where they are supposed to meet their risen Lord and Savior. So how is this a message, or how is this message of Easter relevant today? I think what Matthew, James, John, and Peter, uh, and Paul would all tell us is that, the, that your faith, your sacrifice, your compassion, your generosity, your love, and most importantly, your hope is not in vain. That if you aren't convinced, Peter might sort of chime in and lean in and say, I understand that. I too was unconvinced. I lost faith and I was embarrassed to be associated with Jesus. I was sort of standing in the back of the crowd when he was crucified. But then something happened. Something happened that changed my life. Something happened that changed everything for me. Something changed, or something happened rather, that led me to spend the rest of my life risking my life so that you could know that your Savior lives that when I saw my resurrected friend and savior, I finally understood what he told us previously. Mark chapter one, the time promised by God has come at last, Jesus announced. The kingdom of God is near. That God has done something in the world for the world. The kingdom of God has come near, which means you are never far from God. And then Peter would tell us, I finally understood the invitation. 
which is at the end of this verse. The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. That the invitation is to turn in God's direction and embrace his kingdom and its values and place our trust in this king God rather than the kings of this world. That to believe this as good news, not just for the people in the first century, but this is good news for all centuries. That this good news is for the whole world and this good news is for you and for me. That Peter would tell you that God has done something for you because God is for you. That God wants you to simply believe and receive this good news and accept his invitation to come follow Jesus. That God invites everyone to participate as well. That the message of Easter is just as relevant today during a pandemic as it has been throughout history. But this Easter, I hope it becomes more relevant for you than ever before.